This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and today we've got two of the Ringer's very own experts. First and foremost, we're going to have Chuck Mendenhall from the Ringer MMA show. He's going to come on to preview UFC 288 this weekend. And then in Miami, we have the Miami Grand Prix. We're talking F1, and we're doing a preview with my old friend, Megan Schuster. we got a jam-packed show here on Through the Ringer. Let's get to it now. All right, joining us now, one of my favorite people at The Ringer, and we were former Grantland interns together. We go way back. Her name, she's live from Minneapolis right now, and her name is Megan Schuster, and she's going to get us up to speed on all things F1. Megan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I can't believe all these years later we get to do something like this together. This is uh, this is a dream of ours. You know, like we said, we went back to our Grayland intern days and we, we thought at some point maybe we could do something fun like this. And look at us. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, here we are. Who would have thought? And, and now we get to talk about one of the hottest sports in all the world, right? Everybody knows about F- F1. Everyone's talking about F1. You got to know what's going on. You're going to be down in Miami getting some boots on the ground mm-hmm. coverage. I'm excited for that. Um, I'm going to start with the name that everyone's talking about about and that's Max Verstappen and uh why is he so much better than everyone Megan Schuster I'll start there (laughs) why is he faster and better than everyone uh it's a great question I think one that every F1 team on the grid is currently (laughs) trying to answer um he's certainly been the next big thing for a very very long time he joined Formula One full-time in 2015 he was 17 years old the youngest person to ever get a full-time seat so this is you know a long time coming this level of dominance won his first title in 2021 and you know if you're an F1 fan you can insert your own kind of sarcastic air quotes there if you need to about how he won that title and what exactly happened there but He's just a very fearless, aggressive person on track. Um, He's in his ninth season in F1, which is crazy to say, because I believe he's only 25 years old. So pretty wild that he's an old, wily vet at this point. But um, yeah, he's he's just really the perfect combination of aggressive, fearless, and excited. And he has a car this year that really lets him be all of those things. Um, No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah, you're good. I I was just going to say having an awful car in F1 is a lot like having a horrible GM for your team. And you get really limited if if you can't actually go out there and compete on that level. And his car is is one of the most ridiculous ones we've seen in at least a few years. Yeah. And uh, is his nickname actually Mad Max or is that something that the Americans have started to call him? Um, Do people actually call him that in F1? Is that real? Um, I'm sure no one calls it to him to his face, but I, I would say it's it's a pretty apt nickname given uh, some of the antics we've seen from him on track and uh, even off track over the last weekend, uh, especially in Baku. He got pretty heated over 
a little accident that they got into during the sprint race last week. So I, I would say it's pretty fitting. Yeah, so Mad Max, I'll call him that. He's the clear number one. So if that's the case, who is the number two guy? Because, I mean, obviously you mentioned the air quotes. I'll, we'll talk about Lewis Hamilton here in a second. But who is the clear number two right now in F1? Yeah, that would be his teammate, uh, Sergio Perez, a.k.a. Checo. Um, and that that's largely due to the car, honestly. Checo himself is is a really great driver, but this year he's really come into his own with this car. And the way that Red Bull outfits it really is to max the specifications. And Max likes things a very specific way. He likes to drive it on a knife's edge. And it's taken a few years for Checo, I think, to get used to that type of car. But this year he's won two out of the four races they've already had, including two street circuits, which is what we'll see in Miami coming up. Um, he's just six points back of Mac max in the championship race and it really feels like if he's going to do it this is going to have to be the year where he gets it done yeah so uh, i mentioned his name before when you know i'm a general casual fan of f1 i like to you know kind of know what the headlines are and if you looked at the headlines a few years ago it was only one name out there his name was lewis hamilton he was the you know undeniable star of the sport and like you said we're talking about mad max we're talking about Perret, we're talking about different guys now so i have to ask the question maybe it's a dumb question maybe it's an uncomfortable question but what's going on with lewis hamilton yeah it's it's really the car again and it's sad how how much of formula one comes down to just the the mechanics and the machinery of these drivers because there are so many great ones on the grid but um, like I said before, a bad car is almost impossible to overcome, and Mercedes has a, a not-so-great car. Granted, it's not quite as bad as what we saw from them last year, but F1 changed its regulations around going into 2022, and Mercedes just, I think they would admit, whiffed pretty hard on those. They came in with a car that, that looked vastly different from a lot of the other ones on the grid, and it has not worked out well for them. This year has been a little bit better than last year. Last year, the car was so physically challenging for Lewis to drive that it led to some back problems. You could see him kind of crawling his way out of the car at points, which was really tough to watch from a fan perspective. But um, it's been a little bit better. He drove pretty well this last weekend and seemed to have a little bit more confidence. And hopefully if he continues to race beyond this season, he doesn't currently have a contract after 2023. Hopefully they can get him in a good car again and he can be competitive again because F1 misses a lot when he's not at the top of the grid. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He's a face of the sport, so it's good when the faces of the sport are actually good uh, in the actual yes. sport. That usually <laughs> works out well. Let's talk about Miami, because last year was the inaugural event. Um, there was a lot of hype, a lot of celebrities. One of my favorite moments was uh, Paolo Bancaro was on the track, and he got asked <laughs> if he was Pat Mahomes. That was a good moment. Um, but what are some of the big storylines around the race this year? And you're going to obviously be there in Miami, so that's going to be fun for you and Kevin Clark. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a really good time. It'll be fun to see. Uh, hopefully Martin Brundle does not mess up anyone else's <laughs> name too badly, but we, we love him anyway. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a number of storylines within the race itself. I think the biggest question is, you know, can anyone come close to Red Bull? And within that, whether Ferrari can keep up the pace it established last weekend. Charles Leclerc seemed to finally have something going. He got pole position, and granted, he didn't have the race pace to keep up with Red Bull, but uh, Ferrari has more upgrades coming this weekend. So it'll be very interesting to see what they're able to do. Aston Martin has kind of surprised everyone coming into this season with the pace that they've established. And, you know, Fernando Alonso is their wily old vet. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of intrigue around him, especially with all of the uh, Taylor Swift dating rumors <laughs> out there, which I don't know if you've, how closely you've been following those Tate, but I'm sure that'll come up at some point this weekend. Well, you, you know, um, I'm on top of it, Megan, always. 
Oh, I know. I know you are. Um, and then there's also Logan Sargent, who is the first American driver that we've had in F1 full time in 16 years. He's from Fort Lauderdale. So this will be his hometown race. Be very exciting for him. He struggled a little bit in the first four races this season. But, you know, the drivers always get up big for their hometown races. And uh, I'm sure he'll have a ball in Miami. Yeah, so here we go. We're Hopefully you have a ball in Miami as well, but we got the odds for the <laughs> Miami F1 Grand Prix right here in front of me. Mad Max, as I'm calling him, he's minus 210. Uh, he is obviously the favorite. Um, you mentioned, mentioned uh, Sargent. He's at plus 20,000. Um, you know, Alonzo's plus 1,800. Um, so is there anyone looking at these odds? I mean, Lewis Hamilton plus 2,800. Is there anyone that's hot right now that's been racing well as we get into Miami that you're saying, hey, maybe we throw a flyer on this guy? Obviously, Max is supposed to win he's the heavy favorite but is there anyone that's that's hot right now Megan Schuster that we can bet on yeah I think the guy that I'm most interested in this week and we talked about a little bit is Checo um he always does really well on street circuits which is what Miami is yes uh he won last weekend in Baku which is another street circuit finished fourth here last year and like I said is is getting really really comfortable with this car I think if he's able to qualify well um he should be able to, you know, run away with this or at very, the very least battle max. Um, my long shot is Alonzo. And this, this is more in case something happens to Red Bull with any sort of reliability issues. If they get tagged in the first lap, you never know. Um, he was a little bit slower than Ferrari last weekend, but uh, he'd almost tracked down Charles Leclerc by the end of the race. And Ferrari has some tire degradation issues it has to sort out. And last year, this was a one pit stop race. For the top team so that's going to be something to watch so my flyer would be fernando alonso i like fernando alonso i like that pick a lot one of the props that i thought was pretty interesting and, and i again i'm not an aficionado in f1 so uh, i was looking at the winning margin uh in the race so under five mm. seconds is plus 170 between five and ten seconds is plus 250 over 10 seconds is plus 115 um so how nor how narrow are these typically uh when we look at the margins and, and what would you expect this weekend in miami yeah, it really depends race to race, and, and this year will be an especially interesting one. I believe last year the gap ended up being about 3.8 seconds, so that would make the under five seconds look reasonable. Um, but last week, with bo- both Red Bulls kind of flying out in front, the gap between them was 2.1. However, the gap between both Red Bulls to the next closest car was something like 20, 21 seconds. So it, it's kind of all over the map. Um, my kind of fun instinct here would be to maybe try to go between five and 10, just a to feel something and to have some fun (laughs) betting on a long shot and B um, because it seems like it would be the most likely outcome if both Red Bulls are not out front. And what I mean by that is if both Red Bulls are chasing each other, the gap's going to be under five seconds because the cars are just so close together. But if one of them gets taken out or has some damage or a reliability problem that can change things. Um, Like I said, the next closest competitor last week was hovering in the 22nd range. But if one Red Bull finishes and the other one doesn't, um, they really don't have much incentive to push themselves all of that hard. So I could see them building a comfortable lead between that five and 10 seconds and not pushing it too much over that. So that 
could be kind of a fun one to I take like, a chance. I like the fun ones, and I like to hit big. So plus 250, let's go for it. Um, final <laughs> one here, uh, and these odds are fascinating to me because, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm the general casual fan. So when I hear F1, I think Ferrari, right? I, I think Ferrari is the team sure. that's always going to be the team. But I'm looking at the Constructors Championship 2023, looking at the odds. Red Bull is a, I mean, resounding favorite would probably be the best yeah. way to put it. They are minus 4,000. And then you got Mercedes plus 3,200, Aston Martin plus 3,200, Ferrari, as I mentioned, plus 7,000. Um, and then, you know, from there, we're, we're getting into the super long shot. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, Red Bull, how did this happen? How are they so heavily favored? What is going on? Um, I know Red Bull is <laughs> a good drink and people like it. They like Red Bull vodkas, but they're running F1 here, Megan Schuster. How did this happen? They are. Um, I would love to be able to give you the engineering specifics behind the car, but unfortunately, I went to journalism school, so that part of it eludes me just a smidge. Unfortunately, um, I the, did too, so we have nothing here. <laughs> the, the gist of it, though, is that they really, really crushed the regulation change in 2022, and we're able to build off of that for this season. Um, the car has really epic levels of downforce, which is able to keep it on track through those high-speed corners that they do. Very little drag resistance, which gives it a top level speed that's higher than a lot of other cars on track. And it also has a ridiculous DRS system, which gives it the advantage on those long straights when it's chasing down other cars or during qualifying. Um, and and they've just really continued to build on all of their success. Like Ferrari last year came out really strong and fell away with some reliability and strategy problems. Um, but Red Bull seems to have really nailed their car design and both of their drivers feel really confident with with where they're at. So it's a pretty good recipe, I got to say. Yeah, it's also good when you have the best driver in the sport, right? Our guy, Mad Max. So that always helps things out yep. uh, if you are Team Red Bull because he is the favorite. He is supposed to win pretty much every race that he is in. So that that is what you expect if you watch F1 now. The show is the Ringer F1 show, Megan Schuster. Um, is, is that where we can find your work, right? And it comes back on uh, – it came back yesterday, right, on Wednesday? Yes, yes. It came out. Uh, we have a Miami – preview show coming out and then we have a we'll have a race recap for you on Sunday and likely some other stuff in between since Kevin and I will be on the ground there yeah it's going to be great so go listen to that right now Megan Schuster Kevin Clark breaking down all things F1 it is a fun sport it is fun to watch it's entertaining a lot of storylines a lot of drama um, I might go watch Ford versus Ferrari right now just because I haven't <laughs> seen that movie in a while um, that'll be fun it's a good one it's a good one right we all love that movie uh, she is we Megan do. Schuster of the ringer.com go check out all her amazing work Megan thanks so much for coming on the show thanks for having me this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, he is a writer, never wronger, and he is one of the co-hosts of the Ringer MMA show, and he's going to get us up to speed on everything UFC 288 today. Joining us now, he is Chuck Mendenhall. Chuck, how's it going, man? I'm well. This is a this is a rare treat to get to talk to Tate. I like this, man. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah, we usually do this over, you know, Twitter sometimes. Yeah. And uh look, I, I you know, you can tell I'm a lover, not a fighter, Chuck, but uh <laughs> I like to keep I like to stay up to speed on things that are happening in the world of UFC and you're my guy, you're my go to guy for that. And uh we got a big one. We got UFC two eighty eight, we got Cejudo, we got Sterling, and uh speaking of Sterling, he has been dominating this division. He has won three straight title fights, uh over Jan, over Dillashaw. Um FanDuel currently has Sterling at minus 111 and Cejudo at minus 115. So we'll start here with the with the big question, right? Who do you have winning this fight, Chuck? Wow, right out of the gate, huh? Right out of the gate. You know, I'm not man. afraid. I'm not going to tiptoe around it. <laughs> there are so many weird X factors to a fight like this, namely that Henry Cejudo, who was a two-division champion and an Olympic champion back in 2008, has been able to transform his wrestling into MMA effectively and kind of dominate the game, is coming back after a three-year hiatus. And I think, you know, at 36 years old, that's really a key factor that you look at and you say, how much has he, you know, how much is compromised in that three-year window? Because he's competed his whole life, though, literally since he, you know, like the very youngest age is cutting weight, doing the wrestling, going to the MMA, transitioning, all the things he's done, all the competitions. I actually have less fear about cage rust that you would with uh, just a normal guy, or maybe a John Jones even right. who just fought recently. So given that, even so you, you present the X Factor and then you say, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. I still lean Henry Cejudo. I still lean Henry Cejudo because I just think that he has more paths to victory. Like he's just been that dominant figure until we're until we see otherwise. I still assume he is, and he has been around the game. He's still training. Uh, I, I really believe that it's just part of his DNA to keep training the way he always has. So I'm still giving him the nod, man. I st until he's defeated, I think that's going to be my direction. Yeah, and you mentioned Cejudo retires in 2020. It felt like he was done with the sport, but he also was online like a lot of us, and he was talking a lot, um, and he was making a lot of commentary, and, uh, you know, he was going at guys, and, you know, th there was a whole lot of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, talk going on from yeah. Cejudo, um, and now he's going to get back. Um, so the big question is why is he back now, and what does he have to prove to the world of UFC? Well, I'm not sure. I know that you kind of you dip your toe in the sport a little bit, but what he basically did at the end of 2020 is he he had achieved a historical height. He was a two division champion. He had just um, def he had just defended the bantamweight title. 
Okay. And he was starting to enter into a sphere, I think, a historical context where people are like, where does he rank all time? You know, where is he at? I think he was starting to enter that conversation. He thought it was time. It's prize fighting. He thought it was time to be paid. He made a very public display um, after that fight saying, I'm going to retire unless you grease my palms, you know, and, and UFC <laughs> comes correct. Right. But it, it ultimately backfired, man. It ultimately backfired because he walked away from the sport. And I think he believed that the UFC would come crawling back and say, hey, whatever, you know, here's your bag of money. Like, let's get this thing rolling. Instead, in those three years, and this is why this fight has so much good subtext and backstory, the bantamweight division has flourished, you know, has just flourished in his absence. And they have not really needed him. He could just hover as an abstract, like hypothetical idea that could return. It just added dimension to the division. But you had Aljamain Sterling, like you mentioned, eight straight fights. He's looked very good, very strong as a champion. I think he's at his peak moment right now. But you have Sean O'Malley, you got Marab, but you got all Cheeto Vera emerged. All these guys emerged in his absence. And I think he's back, not necessarily because he's getting paid, but just because the game starts to pass you by and all that conversation starts to go away, I think he had to rediscover in himself a little bit of like, hey, why do I want to be doing this? He was winning a lot. I think he was a little bored, to be honest, with the division. It's so different now as he returns. And I do think that a lot of people kind of forgot about him, you know. And so I think he wants to remind people and ultimately win this. They call him Triple C. So I think he wants to go up at some point in the near future and challenge for the 145 belt to win three titles, three different weight classes. Yeah, and sometimes when you you know step away from the game, everybody has that itch to want to come back and make sure the legacy can shine. And uh, you know that's human nature, so I don't blame Cejudo sure. for that. We have FanDuel uh, props in front of us. We of course are on FanDuel TV right now, so we got to talk about some props. The method of victory uh, for this fight coming up, UFC 288. Um, Henry Cejudo by points is plus 210. Sterling by points is plus 250. Cejudo by KO, TKO plus 380. Sterling by submission plus 410. Sterling by KO, TKO, plus 1,000. Cejudo by submission, plus 1,600. Um, of those props, Chuck, which one do you <laughs> yeah. like the best there? You know what? And I'm not sure I will effectively explain this. And I guess if it comes true, you circle it and you can replay this to all of the fans. <laughs> if not, just burn this copy. But I <laughs> think I think that the one to look out for is the submission for Sterling. Mm. He likes to – He he's very good in a scramble, very good in a scramble. And I think Cejudo's going to have to try to – you know, he's going to have to close the range and get in there a little bit. And what, what Sterling loves to do is essentially create chaos in the scramble, get a guy's back, put him in danger. He, we've seen some really, really crazy submissions from him over the years. I could see a scenario where at some point in this fight, maybe middle of the fight, he just gets that opportunity where Cejudo's maybe pressing a little bit just for whatever reason gives up his back, and Sterling is able to do something with that. So out of all of those, that's kind of my my reach, but I don't I don't really think it's that far-fetched for something like that to happen. So, so I, they, I think that's the I think that might be some value right there at plus four. What was it plus four ten? That's really good value for that pick. Plus 410 for Sterling yep. by submission. So, again, we will burn the tape if that doesn't happen. But if it does happen, you know how <laughs> this you. works. We're going to have to clip that and out. put that out to the world. Yeah. You know what I yes. mean? Yes, That's how course. it goes. Yeah. Uh, so, the next biggest fight on this card, we have Muhammad and Burns. Uh, Muhammad is uh, plus 104, Burns minus 132. Um, you know, I- I'm not going to tiptoe around it again, Chuck. Who do you yeah. like in this fight? And <laughs> how is Burns? He's fighting for the third time this year. Yeah. Am I correct about this? Yes, he is fighting for the third time. So, this, this fight comes together. Together for for reasons outside of the of their duel right like it, it comes together because of the title picture right now leon edwards is sitting at the top of this uh, of this division and 
he's been promised a fight against his first defense against Colby Covington. Now, there has mm. been a backlash because Colby doesn't really deserve this fight. He's won one fight since uh, 2020. It was against, a, you know, kind of, you know, washed Jorge Masvidal. So it's like one of those situations you're like, why is he getting put up there? Meanwhile, Muhammad, who's been chomping at the bit to basically get into this position, hasn't been able to. He gets into this, I think, riding a nine-fight unbeaten streak. The one no contest with him that was against Leon Edwards, so there's a backstory there. He wants to put himself in that pole position. So he's, he's taken a major risk here by doing a short-notice fight to jump in there. Now you get the other side of it. You were mentioning Burns. He has had two fights already this year. The last one against Masvidal, which just happened at the last pay-per-view a couple of weeks that was, ago. Yeah, I was going to say, that wasn't even a, a month ago, weeks right, ago. Chuck? Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. So he's coming back and extremely short notice, but it's for the exact same reason. I think whoever wins this fight is inarguably the next contender for Leon Edwards. Since that, si- that fight was only promised and not booked, nothing was signed. I think it's just one of those, let me, you know, it's, it's one of those sneak in a title eliminator and let's see who's next for Leon Edwards. So both guys are risking a ton here. They're risking, uh, you know, their, their status on something where maybe you don't get the full training camp. You can't put your full, um, you know, mind into how to beat the opponent and all that. But the rewards are so big. And I think that that's why these two guys are coming together. Burns was unscathed, by the way. He came out in mint condition and basically squashing and dominating Masvidal in his last fight. He was already in shape. It kind of made sense. He's kind of kooky anyway because he fought, you know, uh, he fought Hamza Chamaya, who nobody wanted to fight. He kind of fights the toughest guys, and I think that, you know, it just speaks to him to be in these types of situations. And does the winner of this fight get the shot at the champ, or, or is Covington still the guy? Man, I think – so within the bubble, okay – Within the bubble of the MMA sphere, without the in the in the combat sport, nobody believes that Colby Covington deserves that shot. Even now, even without this, so if, if one of these guys goes in there and emphatically beats the other, it will seem like robbery to put Colby Covington into there. I think that the only thing that's kind of sticking in there is Colby probably has a a, a little bit more of a uh, a, pow- a star power. I think in the broader world. And that may trump it. But in the end, if somebody, let's say that Burns goes in there and does the exact same thing, he comes out unscathed, there's really no, there's really no excuse for the UFC to say that he he's not next. I mean, he's answering the call. They, remember, they're doing the UFC a favor by stepping into this co-main event because their previous co-main event in Newark fell out and had to be pushed back due to an injury. So they're doing the UFC a favor. Um, I, I just, I have to think that this is for a title shot. Yeah, and it also, like you said, they're doing a favor. So how do you reward someone doing you a favor? You give them the shot that they're that they're there for, right? So that makes a lot of sense to me, just from a, a big picture sure. standpoint. I wanted to ask about Bryce Mitchell. Um, what happened with him? Two canceled fights, right? I mean, what's oh, going on there? I don't know, but I, that's the big bummer of this card, to be honest, man. Like. Uh, it, I, I think that that, you know, sometimes with these pay-per-views, there's a bang for your buck in the middle of the pay-per-view that you just kind of want to see. There's big intrigue. He, he did not have his best fight last time out. There was a lot of excuses offered. And I think that his fight that he, was, that he had coming up here was going to raise, I think it would kind of raise the pay-per-view value. It just was like, oh, we get right. this, these extra things. Now now it's a little bit weaker. You know what I mean? I, and I, it, it can't help but be hurt a little bit. I'm not sure what's up with Bryce Mitchell, man. He's one of those guys. When you cover the fight game that comes in, a flat earther, a guy who's going to, you know, he's he's got theories about everything and all of them are wrong, you know what I mean? But there's some endearing <laughs> fact because people sort of, they like the knuckleheads in the sport as well. So it's like, it's very, it's it's a very strange dynamic. 
and he doesn't really finish fights, but his jujitsu is very good. He's a very good grappler. He's just an interesting case, but he's such a he's a figure that people pay attention to. So it's a bummer he's he's been pulled off the card. Yeah, dare I say the Kyrie Irving of UFC right there with Bryce. Yes, uh, yes that's so actually, there we go. that's apt. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wanted to ask, uh, any other fights on the main card or prelims that the audience should keep an eye out for? You talked about the bang for your yeah. buck. Are there any guys that, that you would say would be potentially a bang for your buck? Yeah, there's a couple of them. I mean, Crone Gracie, and obviously people, anybody who's peripherally paid attention to the sport since UFC 1 knows the Gracie name. Hoist being his uncle, son of Hickson, he's part of that whole lineage. He kind of comes into orbit in MMA every like three, like it seems like every th- every three or four years. He had a couple of fights in the UFC in 2019, actually, and now it's been four years. He's returning. It's kind of strange because he still holds this weird like Gracie vibe of hey, you you know you got to show the jujitsu. You still got to show Brazilian jujitsu trumps all others. And in his last fight with Cub Swanson, inexplicably, he tried to trade with him, start uh, stood with him, and tried to trade punches with him. And he took a lot of he took a lot of hell from that from his family. So it'd be very interesting to see him return four years later, kind of as a hipster figure in MMA, come in there and see how he does against Charles uh, Jordan, who I know will bring a fight to him. So I think that that's going to be a fun one. That's I believe kicks off the pay per view, and the one right before it, the prelims, is uh, Drew Dober and Matt Frivola. They, the reason they put these two guys on there is they're the last. They're the last fight, right, like before the main card, before the pay-per-view. They want to sell it. They want to get you excited. So they they put two guys they know are going to accommodate each other in a slug in a slug fest. And Drew Dober, man, he's won like five performance awards in the last like five fights he brings. He doesn't really care about a title fight. I think he just wants to lay pain. He's in that Chris Lieben, you know, school of thinking at this point. It just promises to be fireworks. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, that one's going to be very good. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a slugfest, so yes. uh, sign You're gonna me up get for it there. that. Yes. I'll, I'll be locked in there. Uh, I had David Shoemaker on the show uh, a few <laughs> weeks back, and we talked about you know the UFC and the WWE and this merger and, and sort of the stars. Are they going to cross paths, and, and what is that connective tissue going to look like? I wanted to ask you this since I have you here in front of me. Sure. Do you see any UFC stars that can sort of make that transition like a Ronda Rousey or a Brock Lesnar that they kind of have that – you know, they're almost a caricature of themselves yeah. where they can transition into the WWE. And do you expect to see more of that? Or is that sort of looked at in a different light from the UFC vantage point? Well, I know that I know that the UFC and, and shout out to my boy, David Shoemaker, who's like he, the, way back when we first started this thing. He was uh, right. my editor over there. But uh, there is a little bit of a precious vibe and it almost it's reminiscent almost of when MMA started its boom period toward boxing. Boxing had an elitist feel. And I think that the people because they had chroniclers who'd been around forever, they knew the fight game. They were more nuanced than what they were talking about within their sport. There's a little bit of that because actively people have tried to shy away from the from the WWE. I think the UFC themselves tried to shy away for a long time. They didn't want those comparisons. Now they're inevitable. And in fact, they've been inevitable since Brock Lesnar had been coming in, since CM Punk uh, came in for a, for a cup right. of coffee in the UFC, since all of this. It's a very interesting dynamic. What we're talking about, though, is guys going the other way rather than WWE guys, because you can actually do this. A figure like Colby Covington, for instance, who has this whole MAGA shtick and the whole Trump thing. I could see somebody like that. He's just such a natural heel. People hate him, you know, I think from all over the world or they love him, depending where you live and what, you know, what your thinking process is. But like, I could see him doing one of these because I'm not necessarily convinced he loves fighting. 
and I do believe he loves entertainment value. So I could see a guy like him, Jorge Masvidal, who just retired. You know, he's got a little bit of a playing card because the WWE likes to have its storylines, and he has this BMF belt, which is just this fictitious belt that the UFC got behind the the baddest belt and it's like right. that's still yeah that that still exists it's still a thing i mean it's just in his closet but you could brush that off right and make it a thing in the wwe so i could see there are definitely figures who i think could cross over there and handle themselves and kind of and and do it like a matt riddle you know back in the day when he kind of mm-hmm. crossed over i think there are some figures that have that kind of personality that could do that yeah and the wwe they cannot deny a championship belt uh so if they see that bmf belt in a closet yeah, there's not enough of them over out. there yeah, they need more. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, he is Chuck Mendenhall. Chuck, where can we find all your amazing work? Well, I do the pound-for-pound pound rankings over at The Ringer, and I do the Ringer MMA show with Ariel Hawani and right. Pete C. Carroll. Every Thursday, every, usually every Thursday, previewing all, all the cards, and then on major pay-per-views, we, uh, we do a podcast directly after every pay-per-view. Yep, there you have it. He is Chuck Mendenhall. He is the expert. Thanks so much for coming on through The Ringer, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, there you have it. That's it from L.A. Thanks to Chuck. Thanks to Megan Schuster. It was a fun show. This has been Through the Ringer, and we will see you back on Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.